You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, what do you do when the greatest leader of God's people who has perhaps ever lived is about ready to die? He is a prophet, a teacher, he is a leader, a great deliverer, and he's passing from the scene, and he is handing his position over to you, and you are to take over and to lead millions of people into a promised land, a land that is well fortified with enemies and has well-entrenched defenses, They are expecting you and have been expecting you for 40 years, so they have plenty of advance notice that you're coming. And on top of that, you are well past your prime. You're 80 years old. And I don't mean to insult anybody who might be 80 years old, but on top of that, the people that you are called to lead have a history of rebellion, disobedience, obstinance, hard-heartedness, faithlessness, fickleness, and fearfulness. What do you do? You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Joshua. What do you do in such a situation? I'll tell you what you do. You fall apart at the seams in fear and trembling. You and I would hope that in such a situation we would fare better than Joshua. I know that you and I like to imagine that given the opportunity to do something that great, that we would respond with the type of faith that reaches out and embraces God and that we wouldn't need any encouragement, that we wouldn't need any boost of courage or an appearance from the Lord to kind of bolster our spirits. But that's exactly what Joshua needed. It's exactly what Joshua got. He came apart with fear. So the Lord said to him in Joshua chapter 1, listen to this, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Does it sound like Joshua needed some encouragement? Let me give you another scenario. What do you do when your friend, your mentor, your teacher of more than 15 years since you were a young man is about to die? And he has passed on to you his torch, and he has said to you, Those things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, pass those things on to faithful men so that they can teach others also. And he is your spiritual teacher, your spiritual mentor, your leader. You have traveled with him and ministered with him, and he is passing on from the scene. And you are wondering to yourself, how is it that the author of half of the New Testament, half of the books of the New Testament, and the greatest apostle who has ever lived, how is it that the church and the churches that he has started will ever be able to survive without His constant oversight and love? And how can I step into His shoes? What do you do? 
And to make matters worse, you are on the brink of a government-sponsored persecution under Nero, the emperor-slash-madman. What do you do? Your best friend is public enemy number one, and he's saying, I want you to fill in when I'm gone. And you're going to become public enemy number one. I'll tell you what you do. You fall apart at the seams, trembling in fear. We like to think that given Timothy's situation, given Timothy's opportunity, that you and I would fare better than Timothy did. But the reality is that you and I would fall apart and trembling just like Timothy did. Listen to what Paul wrote to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of, of me, of the Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Chapter 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. He had to stiffen Timothy's spine a little bit. Is it any wonder, with all that the Apostle Paul has gone through, that he would need a boost of courage, a little encouragement, something to sort of stiffen his spine, to give him some resolve, to sort of lift his eyes a little bit, It shouldn't come as any surprise to us that reading what we have in Acts chapters 21 and 22 and 23 of all that Paul has gone through in only two days' time, that he would need a a well-timed dose of encouragement. And you'll need to have your Bibles open to the book of Acts chapter 23 for our passage this morning. We're going to be looking at verse 11 of Acts chapter 23. I believe that the Lord knows that we need encouragement, and I believe that the Lord knows precisely when we need encouragement, and I believe that the Lord knows precisely the way in which we are best encouraged. And listen to this, because this is important. I also believe that the Lord allows us to get to points in our life when we need encouragement in order that He might give us encouragement so that it would lift our eyes toward Him. Did you hear that? The Lord allows us to get to the point in our life where we need encouragement. In other words, the Lord by His grace and His providence will sometimes bring us to the end of the road in order that He might at the perfect time and in the perfect way give us that perfect measure of encouragement that lifts our eyes to Him and gives glory and honor to Him. And Paul has gotten to such a point in his life when the Lord needed to give him a well-timed dose of encouragement. And it comes in verse 11. And I want you to read the verse with me. On the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. As I was going through this this last week and studying for this morning, I had intended to take verse 11 and a good chunk of the rest of the chapter, but here's what I found. Verse 11 is one of these pegs upon which Luke hangs the rest of the book of Acts. Verse 11 is sort of a hinge in the book. It's a very... It's a very substantial and very important little detail that sort of gives a new meaning and a new light to everything else that happens in the book of Acts. So what we're going to do today is I just want to focus on what Jesus says to Paul in these words because we're going to find ourselves coming back to this promise as Paul does over and over again through the rest of the book of Acts. So we're just going to take verse 11. Read it again. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. First thing I want you to notice is the timing of this encouragement. It was on the night immediately following. The night immediately following what? What had just happened? 
Well, you remember that the Apostle Paul was arrested in the temple and falsely accused and then almost beaten to death, rescued by Lysias, drug up to the temple steps. He gives his testimony, preaches this sermon, and it's not met with gratitude and thankfulness and awe. You're such a gifted speaker. We loved your message. Instead, it is met with calls for his execution and his death. And they throw stones and rocks. So he's drug inside the barracks, almost scourged, which would have cost him his life, only saved by his Roman citizenship. And then Lysias, frustrated, puts him in the presence of the council. The high priest orders him to be beat across the mouth. There's a riot that breaks out in which the Apostle Paul is almost shred to pieces. Lysias takes him out of there, hauls him to the barracks. And it is on that night, because Paul is sitting in the barracks, and he's got to be asking himself, what next? Where do we go from here? What's going to happen now? It's a well-timed encouragement. It is on the night immediately following all of those events Two beatings, a near scourging, a very discouraging response to a sermon, and then almost being ripped to shreds by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. By anybody's measure, friends, that is, that's a rough two days, isn't it? That's a rough two days. It's on the night immediately following being drug out of the presence of the Sanhedrin and put back in the barracks that the Lord Jesus appears to Paul and he says, Paul, take courage. Just as you have been faithful to solemnly witness for me in Jerusalem, I'm going to give you opportunity. I'm going to take you to Rome. Now, friends, in the midst of all of this, there's, there's something that sort of stands out to me, and this is a perfect opportunity to mention it. I've been wondering, where are all of Paul's friends during all of this? Have you wondered that? Where are Paul's friends? All of chapter 19 and 20 and 21, Luke gives us meticulous detail of the people who are traveling with Paul. Tychicus, Trophimus, Timothy, Titus, Gaius, Aristarchus, and his traveling companions, this entire company of men that have come with him from all over Macedonia and Achaia, and they have arrived in Jerusalem. And I find myself reading this, wondering to myself, where are Paul's friends? Because since the moment he got arrested in the temple, Luke has been mysteriously silent about the activity of the presence of any of those men. So I was asking myself, is it possible that his friends are lying low because they don't want to be implicated with him and drug in and treated this way? Is it possible that some of Paul's friends had abandoned him? I find it difficult to imagine that Timothy and Titus and Luke would abandon the Apostle Paul. I think at least we can draw from the lack of mention that if his friends were trying to do anything to save him or to help him at all, they are prohibited from doing so because... As far as Luke is concerned and as far as we can read, Paul is all on his own. No mention of his friends. So he's sitting in the barracks. He's all alone. His friends are few and his friends are silent. Where are the rest of the apostles? Where are the elders of the church in Jerusalem? Where are the people who would stick up for the apostle Paul? They're just simply not mentioned. I have to conclude from that that they are unable to help him or to do anything for him. Perhaps, probably unable to even see him. And it's dark and it's night, and you've gone through some of the roughest two days in recent memory, and you need some encouragement. And it is on the night immediately following all of that that the Lord Jesus appears to him. And listen, friends, not only does the encouragement come on the heels of some very difficult events, but it comes just prior to something that's even more difficult. Look at verse 12. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under an oath saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. <laughs> I have to wonder what Paul's response would be if he woke up in the morning and he heard that news after everything that he's gone through, if he didn't have this promise sandwiched right in the middle of it. How would you respond to that? 
It is almost as if the Lord has taken him as far as he can take him, right to the end of the road. Then he gives him a well-deserved and well-timed dose of encouragement right before there's some more difficult times. It's well-timed. Look at the form of it. I don't know if this was a dream. It doesn't seem to be a dream because it says that the Lord appeared at Paul's side. Perhaps he was lying in a in the barracks in his bed sleeping and he woke up and the Lord was there. It is obviously a post-resurrection, post-glory appearance of the Lord. Perhaps it is in a dream. Perhaps it is a vision that he sees. Maybe there's no light surrounding it. I don't know where he was at or what he was doing. But at some time in the middle of the night, the Apostle Paul woke or turned and he saw the Lord standing right at his side. And notice that it is the Lord Himself that appears to Paul. Not an angel and not another Christian. But it's the Lord Himself that appears to Paul. Now you and I might expect that the Apostle Paul in a vision or in a dream might receive some direction or some encouragement or some instruction like he did with the Macedonian man in Acts chapter 16. You remember that? The man from Macedonia appeared to him and said, come and help us. And they deduced from that that the Lord wanted him to go to Macedonia. I would expect that that would happen, that he would have a dream or a vision and see something. I would even expect that an angel might appear to him like he did for Peter when Peter was in prison and sort of smack him on the side and say, get up, we're going out, or wake up, I want you to be encouraged. I would expect an angel to appear to the Apostle Paul. But it's not a vision of another man, and it's not an angel. But it is the Lord Himself who stands at the Apostle Paul's side. And listen, I think it was the Lord Himself because that's exactly what Paul needed. I I sometimes wonder if an angel would have been enough, or if another believer would have been enough. But it is the Lord Jesus Himself who stands at his side, and look what he says, take courage. Friends, even the most stout-hearted, resolute, firm believers occasionally need to be reminded to take courage. You know why that is? Is there anybody here who has never at any time in their life struggled with fear of some sort? Nobody. Fear is a universal plague of all men and all women. We fear for our financial situation. We fear the future. We fear for our health. We fear for the health of our kids. We fear for the the future of our children. We fear for uh, all kinds. We fear men. We fear that somebody might reject us, might not respect us, speak evil of us, look down on us, not like us. We fear when we get up to minister in front of or before somebody, will they accept that or will they not like it? We fear people. We fear everything. It seems that the thing that we universally fear is anything but God. And He's the one thing that we should fear more than anything else. But He's the one thing that men don't fear. But all of us struggle with fear in one form or another. And every saint has to be told occasionally, take courage. Be courageous. And this is just like the Lord Jesus to say this to Paul. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven you. Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, when he came walking to the disciples on top of the the water and they were out in the boat and they thought it was a ghost that they saw. You know what he said to them? Take courage. It's not. Don't be afraid. John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Psalm 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the sea, Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 14, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Lord of hosts. Friends, when I fear, or when you fear, it is often accompanied by worry, and it is often almost, if not exclusively, because people or circumstances become big and God becomes very small. And you know as well as I do that I could multiply by the hundreds Verses that tell us to take courage and to be strong and to be courageous and do not fear because God is a rock and a redeemer and a fortress and a mighty God and an everlasting God and He knows the end from the beginning and we can trust Him because He is sovereign. All of those verses that have to do with fear. Fear is the universal human condition. And so the Lord says to Paul, take courage, Paul. This wasn't the first time the Lord did this. Do you remember back in Corinth? Acts chapter 18, when the Apostle Paul came to Corinth and he met this spiritually dark city, so much depravity and wickedness and sin and immorality there, and he had received so much hostility and so much opposition to his message in Thessalonica and Athens and Berea, that when the Apostle Paul arrived in Corinth, it wasn't met with uh, the glowing accolades that you might expect from the Apostle Paul to be met with. Instead, it was met with hostility and resistance, and apparently the Apostle Paul wanted to leave Corinth and move on to the next city, Because Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10 says, The Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, Paul, stay here. Be courageous. Don't be fearful anymore. I have many people in this city. Nobody's going to touch you to harm you. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Every once in a while, even the Apostle Paul, friends, even the Apostle Paul had to get a little boost of courage. It was well-timed. It came in the form of the Lord appearing to him. And the Lord says, take courage. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't fear. Now, did the Lord say to the Apostle Paul, Paul, I want you to muster all of the courage that is within your being. I want you to take that. I want you to cowboy up. That's how we say it. I say that to my kids all the time. Cowboy up. Except the girls. I say cowgirl up for them. Paul didn't, the Lord didn't say to Paul, cowboy up. Muster all of the courage that you have. What the Lord does is He takes the command to take courage And he attaches to that a promise. In other words, Paul can take courage because he is given a promise. And here is the promise that the Lord gave him. Look at verse 11. As you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness to Rome also. Paul, you have been faithful to proclaim me in the temple to that crowd and to the people who are in Jerusalem. And because of your faithfulness, I'm sending you to Rome. That's the that's the promise. Now let me ask you a question. Is it possible that the Apostle Paul might die before he gets to Rome? Is that a possibility? Is it even remotely a possibility that having been given this promise that the Lord Jesus would say to Paul, you have witnessed for me in Jerusalem, so I'm going to send you to Rome. Is it even remotely possible that that Christ would have the inability or the lack of power to actually bring to pass what He has promised? Is it possible that the Apostle Paul would die of natural causes before he gets to Rome? Is it possible that he might drown on board that ship when it wrecks? Is it possible that he could be locked up inside the Roman judicial system and never actually get to Rome? Or is it possible that the Jews or some renegade madman might find him in the crosshairs of of their assassination attempt and actually do away with him before he sits foot in Rome? Is that possible? It is not even remotely possible. It cannot happen. Why? Because our God is in the heavens and He does what He pleases and no 
purpose of his can be thwarted. And if Jesus says, I'm going to take you to Rome, friends, that's ironclad. Paul's going to Rome. And there is nothing and there is no one that can stop that. Why? Because no purpose of his can be thwarted. Is it even possible that the Lord Jesus might be found to be a bad prognosticator? He attempted to tell the future, but he really didn't know it. Or something happened that he couldn't foresee? No. The Lord Jesus knows what's going to happen. God knows the future because He has written the script for it. And every decision that men make and every action that they take only serves to accomplish His purpose and advance His agenda. And you're going to see that next week. Even the fact that they would form a plot to assassinate the Apostle Paul only serves to advance what God wanted to do, and that was get him out of Jerusalem. Is it possible that the Lord's Word would fail to come to pass? No, because He who promised is faithful. And He said, Paul, I'm sending you to Rome. Now, I cannot even imagine the sigh of relief that the Apostle Paul would have breathed when he heard those words. Because he's fearful of death? No, it's not because he's afraid of death. He already said back in chapter 21, verse 13, I'm ready not only to be bound to Jerusalem, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus there, if that's what God wills. But a sigh of relief because he's sitting in Jerusalem and he has been before the Jews. He has been before Lysias. He has been before the Sanhedrin. He has narrowly escaped death several times. His desire is to go to Rome. And here the Lord says to him, I'm going to send you to Rome. I'm going to get out of Jerusalem. It's not that he was afraid of death, but he had to be wondering, am I ever going to get out of this city? Every attempt at justice has been thwarted. I've narrowly escaped death three times. Relief. I'm sending you to Rome. And friends, do you realize that that was the Apostle Paul's drive? That was his desire to go to Rome. He's relieved not because he feared death and now he gets a guarantee on life, but he's relieved because his heart's desire all along has been to see Rome. How do I know that? Back in chapter 19, while he was in Ephesus, it said after these things, Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem after he passed through Macedonia and Achaia. And after that, Paul said, I must see Rome. That was his desire. Those were his plans. Romans chapter 1. The book of Romans was only written about three months prior to the events in Acts chapter 23. Three to four months prior to this. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. Listen to his expression of his plans to visit Rome. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you in my prayers, always making request. If perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, but I have been prohibited or prevented so far so that I may obtain some spiritual fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Romans chapter 15, verse 22, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, in other words, I preach the gospel everywhere I can on this side, Paul says, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. 
Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make an offering for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were well pleased to do so, and we are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Listen to this. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Paul said, I pray that if perhaps in the will of God, I may find my way to you who are in Rome. That was his desire. The heart's desire of the Apostle Paul, as far as plans for his life goes, he wanted to go to Rome. So I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I finish the ministry there, my heart's desire is to go to Rome. Now, Paul didn't know what God's will was. And friends, this is how you make plans, by the way. You purpose, you endeavor, you set out to do it, you plan your steps, you count the cost, you you. Uh, you desire to do something and you want to do it and you press ahead, understanding that that may not be the will of God. God's will may be this. But as it is right now, this is what I'm desiring to do. So Paul made preparations to come to Rome. Sent a letter ahead of him saying, I'm I'm making plans and I'm wanting to come if perhaps it's the will of God. But at the same time, he understood, I may die at Jerusalem and I'm ready for that too. To depart and be with Christ is far better. But if I'm not going to get what's far better and I have to stay here, then I'm setting my feet to the ground and I'm going to press on and try and get into Rome. That was his desire. That was his heart. Now the Lord says, Paul, I'm going to take you to Rome. Wow. You know what that had to have done to his heart? You know what kind of new life that would have breathed into this little man? You know why it would have breathed new life into him? Paul had planted the gospel from Jerusalem halfway to Rome. Most of that through the city of Ephesus. And then while he's in Ephesus, he sets his sights on Rome. Actually, listen, friends, he was setting his sights on Spain. He wanted to stop in on Rome on his way through to Spain. Only the Atlantic Ocean was going to stop the westward march of the gospel as far as the Apostle Paul was concerned. He said, I'm going all the way to the Sea of Spain with the gospel. That was his desire. And now it looks from all apparent all apparent reasons and everything outwardly, temporally and humanly speaking, that his desire would never be fulfilled. It looks as if he's going to die in Jerusalem. And the Lord says, no, I'm taking you to Rome. Oh, all he can see is ministry and opportunity and service. This is my heart's desire and the Lord has granted it. Isn't that beautiful? Because you've been faithful in Jerusalem, Paul, I'm going to take you all the way to Rome. Friends, We've reached a turning point in the book of Acts. And I want to explain to you why this is a turning point. Up until this point in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 21, from the time that the Apostle Paul got into Jerusalem, it has looked from our perspective, from his perspective, and from everything that Luke writes, it looks as if the Apostle Paul is a victim of all of the events, doesn't it? It looks as if everything that is going on is like the currents of this mighty river that are just trying to pull him apart. He has been victimized and then victimized and then victimized and everything seems like it is absolutely out of control. And he is the the sad recipient of all of this hatred and hostility and victimization. From this point forward, the Apostle Paul does not appear in the book of Acts as a victim. He appears as somebody who is actually working to control events in his favor. From this point forward, we no longer feel as if the Apostle Paul is a victim. Because after this promise, you know what he does? He foils a plot to take his life, using his nephew to do so. Gets himself delivered to go to Caesarea, the political capital of the world, where he has opportunity to preach to Festus, Felix, and Agrippa. And then from them he gets on board of a ship, 
And he takes a leading, even a controlling role on board the ship in the midst of all of that turbulence, saving people's lives and carrying people through safely to Rome. Up to this point, he's a victim. From the point of this promise onward, it's as if the Apostle Paul is working to help control events to direct his own steps to Rome. We don't feel like he's victimized after this. What's the difference? Before and after, what's the difference? Well, the Lord said, I'm going to Rome. And Paul knows there is nothing under heaven that is going to keep me out of Rome. Do you understand that? If the Lord has said, on such and such a day you die, friends, there is nothing under heaven that will keep you alive. And if the Lord has said, on such and such a day you die, then there is nothing under heaven that can take your life before that point. The Apostle Paul knows that the Lord is going to grant his heart's desire. The Apostle Paul knows that his days, all of them were written down in God's book before there was yet one of them. The Apostle Paul knows that he rests in the hand of the sovereign God and God has given him a glimpse at his future and he said to the Apostle Paul, I'm granting your desire, I'm taking you to Rome, I'm going to set your feet firmly in Rome. Man, all he wants to do is take the gospel to Rome. And now the Lord says, I'm going to do it. And guess what? He's going to get an armed Roman transport for the trip. And the Lord is going to see him safely through. Friends, here's what I want you to notice about this promise. Do you notice that the Lord promises Paul what the destination is going to be, but he doesn't mention anything about the journey? Do you notice what's absent? He doesn't promise the Apostle Paul that there's going to be free from suffering or free from affliction or free from pain. He doesn't promise the Apostle Paul that it's going to be a speedy trip. In fact, it takes over two years before he gets to Rome. But Paul's okay with the delays. Why? Because he knows the destination. And Paul is fine with the afflictions and the suffering because he knows the destination. Friends, the promises that you and I are given by which we take courage in this life are not promises pertaining to the journey. They pertain to the destination. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you so that I may come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The promise that we have reserved for us in the heavens, all of us who are kept by the power of God for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That hope, that grace that is going to be given to us at the end. Friends, it's the journey might be tough, but the destination is secure. And that's how we take courage. Paul was going to take courage. Why? Not because the journey was going to be easy. It wasn't going to be easy. But the destination was secure. You and I can deal with the delays when we understand that our redemption draws nigh. You and I can handle the afflictions when we understand that it works for us an exceeding weight of glory. You and I can deal with sufferings when we know that they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. We can handle all of the journey. In fact, friends, the more we know about the destination the easier the journey gets, even in spite of all the difficulties. Is that not true? That's why the Apostle Peter said this, fix your hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on that grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has not promised us an easy journey, but He has promised us a safe harbor. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all of your goodness to us in Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have, the future that is ours, the security that we have. Thank you that you are able to present us faultless before your throne with exceeding joy. Thank you that we have a treasure, an inheritance, an eternal life that is reserved in heaven for us who are kept by your power for that salvation that's ready to be revealed 
in the last days. Thank you for your grace to us, and thank you that you are the God of all comfort and grace and encouragement, and that you comfort and encourage the afflicted, the faint-hearted, and the fearful. We thank you that we have nothing to fear. For what can men do to us? What can anybody do to us except what your sovereign and gracious hand allows? Thank you most of all for securing for us a safe destination. And we just pray that your grace would give us, that you would give us by your grace strength and encouragement to make the journey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.